Hello and welcome to County Conversations. I'm your host, Ryan Gregoire, NISAC's Legislative Director. As you may know, April is National County Government Month, a time each year when we celebrate the hundreds of ways large and small that counties serve New Yorkers. For today's episode, we're incredibly fortunate to be joined by two former county government officials who have since gone on to work in the state legislature. Assemblymember Anna Kellis, a former Tompkins County legislator who represents the 125th Assembly District, which covers Tompkins and portions of Cortland County. Assemblymember Jones, former chair of the Franklin County Legislature, who represents the 115th Assembly District, covering Clinton, Franklin, and portions of St. Lawrence County. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. So we're very excited to have both of you on today's podcast uh, because not only is it National County Government Month, but it's also the end of the annual state budget process. And as the level of government charged with implementing many of the state programs, the state budget has massive implications for county governments. And as former county officials, we thought it'd be interesting to get your perspective on the local impact of this year's budget. But before we get into that, I'm hoping uh, both of you might be able to share a little bit about your experiencing your experience working at the local level. What did you do and what kind of lessons did you take away from that experience? Um, Assemblymember Callis, let's uh, start with you. Uh, yeah, so I was in the Tompkins County Legislature for five years. Um, I left uh, a faculty position at Cornell um, teaching uh, nutritional epidemiology uh, and working in the nonprofit sector. Um, and uh, was doing uh, my own uh, private practice and nonprofit work while being a legislator. Um, so I started, because of my background, I started as the chair of health and human services, but actually because of my interest shifted and by the end I was the chair of housing and economic development. Um, I was also on uh, public safety my entire five years. So my priorities really focused on um, alternatives to incarceration because uh, we were trying to um, reduce our jail population. We had lost our variants. And we, uh, during that time, we did a huge study and reduced our, our, um, our jail population by half without any increase in crime. So it was sort of a model for the rest of the state and country, which was exciting. Uh, and then focused heavily on affordable housing and economic development towards the end. All right, awesome. Thank you, Anna. Um, and maybe we'll have to have you on a podcast to talk a little bit about that uh, jail study that you mentioned. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's pivot to uh, Assemblymember Billy Jones, way up in the North Country. Um, Assemblyman, can you tell us a little bit about your experience in Franklin County before we talk about the budget? Sure. Uh, back in uh, 2010, I was the, uh, the mayor of uh, my my local village, the village of Chattagay. And then that year I decided to run for Franklin County legislator. Um, I got elected in 2010, began 2011. I was uh, chair of the public safety committee and then became chair of the economic development committee. And then um, in my third year, I became uh, chair of the uh, county legislature for the next uh, four years. So on the uh, 
county legislature for six years, chair of it for four. So um, have a very unique perspective of county government, how the state uh, affects that. And uh, naturally, any usually um, any movement that the state makes, it does affect us on the county level, uh, whether it be some kind of mandate coming in or other uh, other priorities that the state may have. We are the ones on the county level, as everyone on this <laughs> on this podcast probably knows, that has to um, take care and distribute a lot of that those services and funding. So keenly aware of that, keenly aware in my in my role now that everything we do probably has an effect on county government at some level. And um, you know, funding has a lot to do that. We with that we mentioned on the on the uh, state budget here that certainly um, there are a lot of issues that the state can help out the county with and some that it can hurt as well. So very keenly aware of what is going on uh, on the county level and on the local levels and how that uh, uh, and how on the state level that affects um, how governments um, can deliver those services to our to our residents. So um, looking forward to the to the conversation we're going to have. Yeah. So on, on that vein of the state budget, you know, for our listeners, both Assemblymember Tellis and Assemblymember Jones were instrumental in beating back a prior legacy of the former administration, which is to divert local county sales tax for state programs. Assemblymember Jones just talked about how important it is to take a look at how the state programs and legislation impacts the ability for a county to deliver services. Both Anna Kellis and Billy Jones were strong advocates of counties this year to ensure the end of the diversion of sales tax for the distressed health facilities pool and for the aid to municipalities program. Those two actions combined are saving counties on an annual basis, $109 million. So it's important for our listeners to know that these two lawmakers were advocates. They were arguably the strongest advocates um, in conference to try and push this back. So I did just wanna highlight that for our members that you know, really without their support, the state would have continued to divert county sales tax. And without that, you know, to Assemblymember Jones' point, it impacts local county services. Now, I, I wanna go back to Assemblymember Kellis because um, in Tompkins County, there is a significant concern around childcare. And this is not only uh, localized to just Tompkins County, it's an issue that spans across the state of New York. But um, Tompkins County came to us this session and really asked NYSAC to support investments in childcare and um, to support the end of these diversions because the county wants to make investments at the local level in, in this issue. So um, Anna, perhaps you can tell our listeners about um, why it was so important for you to advocate for the end of these diversions and what that means for your district and your community. Yeah, well, so uh, stepping back for a moment about uh, the two different diversions and um, why they were so concerning. So uh, the distressed hospital, the, the proposal was to make it permanent and to make it uh, be permanently paid for 
uh, by the counties um, through diversion of, of the AIM funding. And when I started in the legislature um, in 2021, January of 2021, coming straight from the county legislature, uh, one of my first calls was to the comptroller uh, because as a county legislator, we were giving money. We had a distressed hospital by definition. The distressed hospital had never received any funding or, or even received any information about an application process um, to even apply for that funding. Uh, and when I spoke to the comptroller, um, you know, he said I was interesting. It was interesting. It was the first time he'd, uh, he'd been asked that question. He contacted me a week later and said, lo and behold, all $250 million is still sitting in the, in the account that it was submitted in. Um, and that started a, a process of trying to figure out um, you know, what was happening with this money. And ultimately the funding was uh, diverted to the general fund, um, which to me meant uh, you know, it was, it, although it might have been useful for hospitals during COVID, um, there were clearly other mechanisms or they had been suffering and they did need the money and the money should not be coming from counties um, since they were providing a service throughout the entire state. So uh, the proposal this year for me was particularly disturbing uh, given that it had literally just been transferred to the general fund and not used for what it was supposed to be used for um, and that it was adding that extra burden to counties. Um, so that was basically the reason that I pushed very hard for, for myself, why I pushed very hard for if it, if it was made permanent that it would be a state uh, expense, which is ultimately uh, what was done with this. So I was very thankful for that because, of course, again, as I said, our hospital is experiencing stress. They are um, doing a lot for the community. They are a nonprofit in the community. Um, and so uh, having the, the community have funding to work with them to do the things that we need to do, rather than give the money to the state to go into the general fund is really important. Uh, the AIM funding, as you mentioned, um, that was a more recent diversion. Um, the state was paying for it and then tried to pass the funding off to the, the counties. Um, well, I'm sorry, tried to remove the funding to many of the towns and villages. We all fought back and they said, fine, um, you know, we'll just take it now out of the counties um, instead of paying for it. So uh, I'm very glad that, that we pushed back on that as well. And that is no longer happening and it is now back at the state level. What this means, of course, is that the funding, there is increased funding for the things that counties really need. There are two counties in New York state that are at an official critical level. There's like a code red level for childcare. One is Tompkins County and one is Erie County. And they have their different reasons why, but in Tompkins County, we're actually lacking the child care centers themselves. We have lost a massive amount of providers um, during COVID. And, uh, and because of it, we've lost also a massive amount of workforce development. So with this um, you know, reduced or, or um, disappearing uh, diversion, that funding can stay within the county and can be added into initiatives that we are trying to do locally um, to uh, train and support uh, new childcare providers in creating home childcare centers, um, individual childcare centers. So it's hugely important for us. And I will say in particular, lastly, the reason is because we have seen a loss in our workforce of women um, that has set us back multiple generations. 
uh, across the entire country. And we are experiencing it hugely in Tompkins County. And people cannot go back to work unless we have those childcare centers. Uh, we have gotten state aid. Uh, we, we put a significant amount of money in childcare uh, in the budget, about uh, $3 billion that will increase the amount of money that child care providers are reimbursed um, and also increases the threshold uh, for income level for the families that will el be eligible for subsidy. Um, but if the child care providers aren't there, um, then they can't, uh, they won't be able to use that benefit. So uh, the county stepping in and helping with that right now is hugely important, hopefully with additional support from the state. Yeah, that's great. And, and thank you for that overview, um, Assemblymember Kellis. Uh, Assemblymember Jones, did you want to highlight um, some of the reasons why you were advocating so hard to end these diversions that Anna so eloquently um, spoke to? Yeah, certainly. And, and Anna explained it to, you know, down to a T. Um, it, it's just mind blowing that this was put in in the first place. And I remember being back, uh, back when I was in the legislature, I think this all started probably in 17 or 18 about the aim funding and the diversion and, you know, playing with the formula and the former administration was starting to do it. And, and being a county legislator, being a county official, I was just irate about it when it was even, uh, it was starting to be proposed. And it was basically, you know, uh, robbing the counties of the funding that they were entitled to, um, you know, at the beginning and playing with these formulas and, and hurting, you know, putting the towns and villages against the county as far as aim funding. That's what it was doing. It was just creating headaches um, for our county officials, uh, you know, on, on that level. And that's why I, I was uh, uh, angry about it. And, and um, also, you know, it put extra stress on the counties because then they had to deal with it, <laughs> deal with their towns and villages on it uh, as well. So been fighting this fight for um, probably, you know, the last four or five years since they started um, messing with the AIM formula. You know, I, I hand it to our colleagues um, that stepped up from upstate on this in, in our conference. They, they did a, a great job. Fred Thiel thought uh, fought on this for, for many years on the AIM. We, we give it to Fred every time in conference and he'd be like, no, I'm on your, I'm on your side on this. We're fighting for this. And he was great about it uh, as well. But um, certainly, um, this was uh, difficult. And then you throw in, you know, the distressed hospital funding that was put in the middle of COVID. And I think when it went in, no, nobody was happy about it. And it came at a time when counties were struggling as well. I mean, they were delivering a lot of services on our county levels. I know from the three counties that I represent, COVID, during COVID, they did an exceptional job in delivering um, services and supplies and anything they could. They were dealing with the administrative uh, administration directly. And then to throw this on there, okay, sure, the hospitals need help. We realize that. But you're going to take away from the counties to give to the hospitals. And then furthermore, we found out, as Anna said, none of the hospitals were getting this funding. I knew hospitals in my area weren't getting this funding and come to find out hospitals in Anna's area or anybody else's area in the state weren't even getting this funding. It was being thrown into the general fund. So you took our, our, our state 
the, the sales tax money or the, the county sales tax money and threw it into this funding mechanism where you said you were going to help hospitals. I say that in parentheses. And you, uh, you never gave it to distressed hospitals or any hospitals for that matter. Um, it was just, it was mind blowing. And then to see, um, to see the, uh, you know, the, in the budget, um, this administration proposing to make it permanent. I mean, we, we fought uh, tooth and nail against this um, to make sure that it wasn't permanent for those reasons that I stated and Anna stated. And now um, we have it, it's going to be at a status state expense the the counties are going to get reimbursed for that money i think it's a win-win for everyone and um you know we really fought for it this will allow my counties to provide other services and we can get into all kinds of services that the counties perform um but you know it'll provide that extra money for them um, to provide um, services that are needed infrastructure um you know, we all know that our infrastructure is in dire need. Our counties take care of a lot of miles of roads and bridges. Um, you know, that certainly uh, is an issue. Um, they have to struggle um, with, you know, other areas, whether it be health, whether it be the next wave in this, um, hopefully not, but the next wave of a, of a healthcare crisis. The counties do deliver services, a lot of services as far as healthcare and they have during COVID to people and to our residents. And we need to recognize that and not take away uh, funding from them during, uh, during a pandemic and during uh, times of need because they do deliver those services. Great, great. Well, I think our listeners can hear uh, in the passion from both assembly member Callis and Jones that you know, this was an important priority of theirs during this budget uh, negotiation. So I, I do want to take just a few moments here uh, before we conclude today's podcast to talk about some of your other priorities. And I know that uh, here at NISAC, we support two of your bills um, in particular. Both of you are working on EMS is issues. And both of your districts are facing, along with many of your colleagues, are facing severe, severe uh, retention and recruitment issues of our volunteer emergency medical service providers. The budget made some, uh, some progress in this. And Assemblyman Jones, you carried that bill. It's a huge win. We're very happy that we were able to help you uh, get that through the budget. There are other bills though that you sponsor, and there is um, a proposal to create a CHIPS-based funding formula for emergency medical service districts that Assemblymember Kellis sponsors. Both priorities of NISAC, we're both going to be you know, pushing these bills uh, in the rest of session and also next year to ensure that there's some funding behind this issue, but Perhaps we can um, spend a little bit of time talking about this is issue that's near and dear to both of your hearts. And uh, why don't we start with um, Assemblymember Jones, because you can talk about your, uh, about your proposal, which was included in the enacted budget. Sure. Um, I, I love talking about this because it was such a hard fought uh, battle. And, and, and thank you for um, you know, thanks to NISEC for making it a priority as well. Um, you know, it's the it's the Fair Play Ambulance Recovery Act. 
Um, and we call it fair play because it's, it's, it's a parity issue. It puts volunteer fire departments on the same footing as, as other uh, EMS services. Um, it's needed. Um, and um, this bill in some form or another, I believe I've had it for five and a half sessions, six sessions. I got it from uh, Assembly Member Brindisi. Um, it's been in some form or another, it's been around for several decades. So um, this was important. It really is. It's allowing volunteer fire departments um, to bill, uh, you know, to bill Medicaid and private insurers for, for their services. And at the end of the day, and, and I've always said this, it's not about, um, you know, putting more money in the coffers of volunteer fire departments, although they need it because they need to provide um, those services. And we know that our volunteer fire departments are hurting. It's about getting services to our residents. And everybody knows that. The volunteer fire departments know that. The counties know that. And at the state level, um, you know, we, we realize that we need to get those services. And when you make that call, when one of our loved ones, and I've said this several times, we never want to make that call, uh, have one of our loved ones or our neighbors make uh, that call uh, into, uh, you know, EMS or into our voluntary fire, fire departments or first responders and not have somebody at the other end of that to respond to it. Um, you know, we never want that to happen. In some of our communities, in some of our rural communities, and even downstate, Long Island was a huge supporter of this of this bill. Um, we never want that to happen and not have anybody respond. The fire siren to go off, the call to go in, and not have anybody there to respond to our neighbors, our loved ones. And this will go a long way in providing that. And I know Anna has uh, legislation out there. I have other legislation out there for countywide EMS um, services. Um, I have a local bill for, for just the Adirondacks, but I also have a statewide one that NISEC is, is supporting. And this is all in an effort to get services out to our residents, to get those necessary life-saving first responding services to um, our constituents, to our neighbors, to our loved ones that need someone there and need someone there in a rather timely manner. Um, we're talking about response times, and I think we talked about it before, Ryan, when we did another um, a forum, some of the response times in some of the areas around the state are just unacceptable. And that's no knock on any of our service providers, not a knock on uh, EMS providers, our first responders, and our volunteer fire departments. Um, it's just that they don't have the ability or the personnel to get people out there. So we need to provide the resources um, to get um, that first response to our people that they can get oftentimes life-saving um, first, uh, first care um, that they need and get them to uh, you know, the, the hospital or healthcare facility or wherever they have to go. So it's all in an effort to do that. Countywide EMS to make it easier for um, you know, our, our, our fire dish or our EMS services in our districts to team up and get the, get services out. And, and I think these are all reasonable, <laughs> reasonable things to do. Um, and I know Anna has taken a, a taken charge in, in getting this out there for our communities. Her communities are affected by it. Mine are people all around the state are affected by it. And it's all in an effort to get first 
response to our, our neighbors, our loved ones, our community members that need these life-saving services when the call goes off in a timely manner. So yeah. um, we're, we're, we're looking forward. I'm looking forward to working with her on more of this and um, all my colleagues, and this will make a, a difference in, in people's lives. Yeah, and, and Assemblyman Jones, I think you said it quite well. You know, this is, and I know Anna, we've talked about this. This is a problem. Uh, it, it, there are a lot of issues affecting our EMS providers and our counties are feeling pressure. Our other municipal partners are feeling pressure. Assemblyman Jones was able to get a victory in the budget, but this issue requires a comprehensive set of solutions. And that's yeah. why there is no one size fits all. And, and perhaps Assemblymember Kellis, you can tell our listeners a little bit about one of the pieces of legislation that you sponsor which again would create this chip space funding formula uh, for our EMS providers. Absolutely, uh, and I think that you you nailed it uh, on the head with that. That this is um, a problem, and there is no one solution. Um, but I I would note it's a problem that uh, many of us as you know local legislators or having been local legislators know um, this is many decades in the coming uh, as a problem. Um, I, I refer to it as you know the, the one of the greatest crises of the state that people aren't talking about. You know, um, we all know it, and yet um, we haven't uh, created that comprehensive solution. Um, Billy did describe the problem superbly um, in its comprehensive nature, both, um, you know, the, the burnout, the intense dedication of the, uh, of the workers that we have and the EMS services that we have, um, but then the resulting, uh, you know, long duration and response times um, are some of the things that we're addressing. Uh, but I'm going to step back and just talk about um, the, the, there are different types, as it, um, many of us know, there are different types of EMS services. There's the for-profit, there's not-for-profit community-based that are contracted by municipalities. There are EMS services that are part of governments um, and they're within fire departments. And then there are other EMS departments that are standalone. So there are solutions that are needed for every single one of those aspects to, to really bolster every single one. The bill that made it into this budget um, addressed a fundamental issue, which is that those EMSs that were inside fire departments could not bill for Medicaid, and now they will be able to. That was uh, the parity issue that Billy Jones so eloquently described. That doesn't help the other EMS services. Um, I, there's another thing that's needed that my bill doesn't cover, but I, but I strongly support, which is um, the Medicaid reimbursement rate increases, which would really help the for-profit. Mm. Um, and my bill is really targeted towards the community, uh, the, the municipal EMSs, uh, and the nonprofits that are contracted by municipalities. So what my bill does, it acknowledges that um, EMSs are not just transportation services in the way that we used to think about them, you know, 100 years ago, right? They transported a person from their home to the hospital. They are, um, you know, fully mobile um, healthcare systems. Um, and can provide up to some surgeries, right? So very comprehensive. 
and because of the services that they provide during the transportation make um, a life or, life, or, life or death difference for people and can also prevent um, some long-term chronic negative consequences of a lack of treatment during that first phase. And so really fundamentally EMS is part of the Medicaid or the medical service. It is part of our healthcare system and they should be recognized as part of our comprehensive statewide healthcare system. So I was inspired by the CHIPS model, which basically says that um, municipalities manage and maintain their own roads, but everyone who is a resident in the state, and of course outside the state and country benefit from their work on those roads. Therefore, we should help and contribute to some of the cost. And we create a floor, a subsidy support for the maintenance so it doesn't break the bank of local municipalities that have very small budgets in comparison. The idea is to follow that exact model and say all EMSs, all municipalities are providing a fundamental service for the state because the impact that they have reduces our state healthcare costs and therefore does have an impact on all, all every taxpayer in the state. So it creates a subsidy, a CHIPS style subsidy, but for EMS services, that um, specifically are municipal EMSs or nonprofits that are contracted by EMSs. It can't be used for for-profits because that would be a gift and that is something you legally can't do for governments. But the idea is that it would be matched with the Medicaid reimbursement rate increase um, plus uh, you know, uh, Billy Jones's bill. You put all three of those together and you start to create a comprehensive support system for statewide EMS services. So this is one of the very important um, stepping stones towards that comprehensive support system. Uh, it was not in this budget. NISAC is supporting it, which is wonderful. Uh, Ryan, you've been instrumental um, in bringing that forward uh, as part of the NISAC team. Um, and by the way, it was inspired by a, uh, one of my um, town uh, mayors, my village mayors, 50% of his budget is his EMS services, um, his entire village budget. And this was part of his brainchild. So it's really about working with my local electeds, um, taking their expertise, taking their wisdom and, um, and bringing it to the state level. And I think, Anna, that speaks to the experience that you and Billy have, which um, started really with county government. And you have an appreciation for the problems at the local level. And now in the position that you're both in, you're identifying solutions to help address those problems. And that benefits your constituents. And I'm always saying this, county's constituents are the same as a state legislators and the same as the governor of New York. We all yep. represent and we all work for the people who live in New York state and the people who come and visit New York state. Absolutely. And if we want people to go to the Adirondacks, if we want people to go and visit the beautiful area in Ithaca, they have to be able to call 911, which by the way, is a county dispatcher who will tell your EMS provider, uh, so-and-so you've fallen down the rocks or you're trapped on um, one of the mountains in the Adirondacks, come and help me. And we need to make sure that we are bolstering our services. Our volunteer fire departments needed this tool 
our nonprofit volunteer fire departments and municipal EMS districts need financial assistance that Assemblymember Kellis described. And I should also note that your colleagues, Assemblymember Santa Barbara, Senator Hinchy, Senator Brooks, and Senator Shelley Mayer are all working on other pieces of legislation that again, go to that comprehensive solution. So we're happy to continue to support all of these bills because uh, there is no one size that fits all. And this is a problem that our counties are facing. They're trying to grapple with how do we support our EMS providers? Otsego County, as we speak, is in the process of standing up a countywide district, which is incredibly expensive to help offset the yep. municipal providers in their community. But this is not um, something that happened in the last year. As Assemblymember Kellis said, it's been decades in the making. It's going to take uh, significant policy reform to get the solution to what we need, but I, I can say from my perspective that we're in a strong position in New York. We have a lot of advocates at the state level. The state legislature is working with us, and um, we're, going to, we're going to solve this crisis. It's just going to take all of us working together, which I think we are doing very well, uh, to address the needs of our constituents, our mutual constituency. So with that, um, before we conclude, is there anything else that either of you want to mention to our listeners on this podcast? Anything that you're particularly interested in focusing on or, um, you know, anything that you're looking forward uh, to working with NISAC on down the road? Assemblyman Jones, I'll start with you. Sure, Ryan, and, and thank you for that segue. That's, um, it's important to know that we all do represent the same people. And, um, and, and you said that um, I have a, a wonderful relationship. One of the things that I'm most proud of in moving from the county legislature to the state legislature is I have a wonderful relationship with my local county officials, um, you know, across the board, all departments, um, all, uh, you know, all my legislators and certainly um, the county uh, managers and executives. Uh, you know, you have to have that relationship uh, and a good working relationship with them, because like you said, we do represent uh, the same people. And to have that there is 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 great because they hear um, actually they don't hear from me. I hear from them um, quite a bit. And uh, <laughs> it, 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 you know, it gives me the ability to address um, those concerns, the concerns that um affect people's lives day in and day out. I hear from a lot of my constituents, but to have that relationship with our county officials and our county electeds and our uh, local legislators, uh, you know, you need that. And we need to hear what their issues are because they're delivering so many services to our constituents, to all, you know, uh, their constituents or my constituents and vice versa. So we, we need that relationship. And I just want to mention um, that, um, you know, NYSEC plays an important part in that um, and continues to do that as an organization, uh, a, key, a key role in uh, making sure that us legislators know what is going on um, on the ground. And uh, certainly we need to continue to, to do that and fight for EMS services, to fight for good infrastructure um, because we're all affected by it. And uh, certainly uh, I'll continue 
uh, to work with uh, local officials and NYSEC to make sure that we can get these important uh, pieces of legislation and budgetary items uh, through that will help our people. And I would note, everything that we do in, our, in, in the state budget, I said it earlier, does affect our counties, does affect our, our local officials. And the more resources that they, we can give them, it helps our county officials and legislators to keep that property tax level stable, to keep it at a lower level. And um, we need to continue to do that. And I think, and I know that many of us do that. And Anna and I continue to fight for our counties in our conference to make sure that uh, people realize um, that we need to provide those resources to help our families out, to help our residents out, and to keep their uh, to keep their property tax levels um, at a livable uh, measure. And we, we need to do more, obviously, but we continue to fight to do that. And I know being a county legislator and being a county official, that is very important um, to our, to our uh, county legislators and our county uh, managers and executives. So thank you for having me. It's been great to join you and uh, look forward to continuing to work on these legislative and budgetary priorities that we have in the future. Well, thank you very much, Assemblyman Jones, for joining us. Um, Assemblymember Kellis, any closing remarks from your end? Anything you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, you, you asked uh, the question, things that we were excited to work with NISAC moving forward. Um, you know, the, the committees that I was on as a member of NISAC were the health committees uh, and the environmental committee. So I have a particular uh, love for that work. Um, and I, I had always wanted to be on the agricultural one as well, as well but it was at, always at the same time as the healthcare one. So I had to pick, which was cruel. Um, I happened to be on committees at the state level in all of those areas and would love to continue to work with NISAC. Um, you know, we're one of two states in the country where Medicaid costs are passed off to the counties. Um, every other state, these, the state pays for it. Um, and that yes. is issue that significantly, as uh, county legislators know, increases uh, property tax, which is inherently a, a regressive tax. So we are pushing our, our Medicaid costs, um, the, you know, which is a, a cost to pay for the health care of the lowest income people in the state and passing it on to some of the lowest income people in the state up to, you know, middle income, right? So um, it, it, it doesn't make sense. There are solutions. Um, I have myself worked on the New York Health Act extensively, um, and there is a, a profound amount of misinformation about it. Um, and it has also been modified to address uh, a lot of the concerns that have been brought forward. But one of the most important things, of course, is that it would create um, choice for uh, anyone to see uh, any doctor they want in any field would cover um, prescription costs, uh, um, health care, that includes long-term care, that includes mental health, that includes dental, that includes eye, uh, that in prosthetics, you name it, it covers absolutely everything. Um, and there would be regional boards that would be made up of local electeds that would determine the cost structure to make sure that it covered the cost and it would be a progressive tax, not a regressive tax. I'm sorry, the current one is regressive, not progressive. Um, the one that this would be would be progressive. Um, so small businesses and, uh, and low and middle income people would 100% save money and counties, more importantly, would save money. There are some counties that the 
the Medicaid uh, um, cost uh, to the counties, the unfunded mandate, is greater than the property tax that is even collected in that county. And that's insanity. So it yes. would instantaneously go away, right. which would change property tax structures on counties overnight Sorry, tremendously. So I think that that is really I'm important. Um, and the the other thing, of course, that I would love to continue to work with the, the NISAC and counties on is, um, you know, ad addressing climate change. Um, as everybody knows, I've presented uh, recently at NISAC um, on the impact to the environment of cryptocurrency. Um, but we have seen in upstate in particular, huge negative consequences of sound pollution, air pollution, um, impacts, negative impacts on water quality. Um, but more importantly, for some people, a significant increase in their um, uh, in their electric bills because of the increase in demand, um, which by the end of this year will be about 1.5 gigawatts of energy diverted to cryptocurrency. Um, and that's just the ones that have been proposed or are currently under construction to be finished by 2020. And that's the equivalent of um, powering 750,000 homes in upstate New York, which is two and a half times the size of Buffalo. So um, this is not a small issue. This is a huge issue and will have very negative consequences. Um, there is uh, the statement that they can be green, uh, that they can push um, the expansion of renewable energy infrastructure uh, by getting a return on our investment. But we all know we don't have unlimited land for solar because it competes with our agricultural land. Um, and this amount of increased demand on our infrastructure will require an increase of about 60%, 66% of solar infrastructure to compensate for this increased demand if we are going to reach our climate goals, just to give an example. So there is a lot of education that needs to happen in this field um, and in addressing climate change in general, uh, because we are already starting to see the negative impacts on our local communities, the infrastructure, loss of agricultural um, productivity, loss of land due to high precipitation levels, um, increased mold in our um, agricultural production harvests, right? There's just so much that I'm hearing from my local communities, and that's just in the farming community, right? Um, so we do really need to start to directly address um, investments in climate mitigation if we're going to reduce um, what could be many billions of dollars of cost um, every year to all of us in our local communities. So a lot to cover. I look forward to continuing to work with you. And uh, thank you so much uh, for having me on your show, your podcast. Yes, well, thank you both. And certainly we here at the Association of Counties really look forward to working with you both. Uh, there's a lot of issues out there, as both of you just talked about, a lot of work to do together to address these. Um, and again, thank you for joining today's uh, County Conversations podcast and uh, joining us in celebrating National County Government Month. So thank you, everyone. Look forward to uh, talking to you again on the next episode. listening to this episode of County Conversations, brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. We hope that you will continue to enjoy these county government-focused conversations, so make sure to subscribe to stay up to date.